Listen in. Thanks for doing just that. Music. Music has some sort of magical, maybe mystical thing happening. And I couldn't be more sucked in. I love it. You see, I want to live life better, unless I'm in some sort of funk and all I want to do is wallow. Songs, artists, musicians, lyrics, they help me in all sides of life. They're like lifts in my shoes. I walk a little taller, my shoulders are on my back. Yeah. Bring on life. Bring it completely on. Bring on life. So I'm full of questions and I listen in. Luckily, or hopefully, I travel with a recorder and open SM58 microphones. You've got questions? I've got more. I'm Frank Jenks. I began listening with a syndicated radio program, interspersing conversation pieces with songs and subject matter. And now, I just want to offer this fullness, the greatness, the insight directly from rock stars to you this way. One of the first rock stars who embraced the idea that an in-depth interview was worth his time, if not mine. Billy Squire took the time to tell me that my approach was not only unique, but meaningful. Trust me, that's stuck. Because it's people like Billy who deserve to have their words paid attention to and respected. This was my second interview with him, and very comfortable. It was recorded while he was out with Ringo Starr on July 12th, 2008 in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. We began talking about the song, Nobody Knows. And you've talked about it being so, so different from everything. But you know, that came on, on the Don't Say No record. Why didn't you find something else that sounded like it, was emotional like it? You know, I mean, because well, it, does stand, it does stand apart from the rest well, of the world. Well, because that song came about when I wasn't, I wasn't really looking for something. You know, I mean, it was a very... Um, a, na- a natural evolution from from hanging hanging around with John Lennon, you know, in the vicinity of John Lennon and the Dakota, and um, and having that thought spring into my mind that nobody knows what that guy's life is really about. That you know, we mm-hmm. we all th- think we do from what we read and from how we analyze his songs. But he, I see him, and I see him go into his apartment, and you don't know what's going on. And, in mm-hmm. that apartment or in his head and so I mean it was a, what I'm saying is I, I didn't sit with most, most of my songs I don't sit down and say well what am I going to find to write about it's usually mm-hmm. what finds me you know the thing the, the song and that's why that's why if I don't write a lot or go through periods where I don't write a lot it's because nothing is affecting me in a way that I feel passionate enough or involved enough that I want to do it and that you know nobody knows I, I had this you know, sort of light go on in my head and go, oh, this is a great song. And, and I said, nobody knows what he's, th-, and I went, that's the title of the song. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then I wrote it, it naturally it followed, you know, the lyrics followed from that, that premise. That's a lot, a lot of my writing process. It's not formulaic. I have a formula, but it's not, it is not the kind of thing which some people do where you say, I'm going to write four hours a day. You know, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to go work out, and I'm going to go and I'm going to write. Um, I don't do that. So you never had that discipline in that. You just never had that sort of discipline for. Writing. I had. I had my own kind of discipline. Um, no, for instance, when before I was Billy Squire, you know, before I was a successful Billy Squire, <laughs> trying to become Billy Squire. Yeah, sure, I did because I, you know, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm constantly writing and trying to come up with 
the goods, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know? um, once I once I became Billy Squire, then the discipline was more became focused. Um, I'd come off the road. I'm going to make a record. I know that. So for the six months, eight months, ten months, whatever I've been on the road, every day at soundcheck or when I'm tuning a guitar or something, and I get a good riff, I record it. Every if I'm in a taxi cab and I get an idea for a song or a, a hook or something, I write it down. So I'd have I would accumulate all these bits and pieces. Never have it doing writing sessions, but just accumulating like pictures in a puzzle and then I come to write the record and I would take all these things out and literally like sit on the floor you know and go through all this stuff and go mm. that's good that's good and that's not that's not moving me oh this this hook would go great with this riff you know and that's partly why I could do, write those records so fast you know I mean, don't say no I wrote in two weeks emotions I wrote in two weeks because I had all the stuff assembled and I it sort of there was a discipline but it's not um mm-hmm. It was all. It was sort of organically based, shall we say? You know, it was. It was never. I was never going to the office. That and and I still live my life that way, which is why people get frustrated with me because they say, you know, "Why don't you make another record?" I said, "Well, you know, I don't like the business that much. I'm not that motivated by it, so I don't do it. I, I don't feel that I've lost the ability to do it. I'm just not interested." But people say, "Oh, you can do it though. Come on, go in the studio and do it." I say. That's you know, it's not organic to me. That's that's forcing it. I don't. I won't do that. Do you use computers and whatnot now? Are, I mean, to make music. No, well, to just keep those or, organic notes, if you will. No, I. To be honest, I'm not making that many notes yeah. now either, mm-hmm. cause I, because my life has gone a different direction since you know since I kind of got out of the business. So I don't have that much impetus to do it. So I mean, I'm keeping my notes pretty. I have, some of it's on computer, but I don't have reams of stuff right, right now. So some of it's on, I have notebooks. People give me books all the time to try to stimulate me to write, you know. So I, I have these beautiful leather-bound engraved, you know, <laughs> writing books which have two two lines written on them and I've had it for a year. But um, I appreciate the effort. I like being pushed. I mean, you know, I think for, for people to express interest to me about doing it is, is certainly something which I, I appreciate and I welcome it and it makes me feel good. But I still feel like I'll only do it at my own, you know, mm-hmm. my own pace as the urgency directs me. So let's talk about getting out of the business. You say it that way, but did, was it really a choice or did you feel like you were forced out or it just, or that was just your life cycle in the business? No, it was a choice. It was a choice. I mean, my label was making it very difficult for me, obviously to continue in a productive relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have to leave. I, I had a binding contract. It was my choice to settle with them and get out because I didn't want to work with them. Right. I said, why do I want to work with people who want to basically ruin my career? Mm-hmm. You know? So um, that, was, that really took me by surprise. I, I, you know, having grown up in the business, I never thought the business would beat me because I understood it. You know, I, I didn't think I was bigger than the business, but I, I knew how it worked, and I felt like I know the I know the rules. I can play by the rules, and I can I've done well. But those people, they knew who they are. You know, they did things which I considered despicable mm. um, to me or any other artist who who commits themselves the way they do we do to our careers. So that really turned me off. I, I just you know I didn't even go looking for another deal after that. I just it was such a such a bombshell, you know, such, such a 
disheartening and shocking experience that I just basically said, that's it. I am gone. And I did. And, I, and it's, you know, I've really never come back. Well, does it, does it hurt? I, I guess it hurt me when I left some sort of the business that I thought, okay, these and these and these, these people are my friends. But they stop returning my phone calls. Well, they're I mean, not your friends. That's the pleasure no, you find yeah. out. They don't care at all. They don't. They only care about. They only care about you as long as you're making them money. Man, and it's gotten worse since then. Obviously, because I mean, yeah. our whole culture is so commoditized and commercialized now that everything is about money wherever you are. Which is which is very very dismal forecast for the arts. Although this will change, you know. I mean, yes. things things you know, the pendulum swings back and forth and. You know, we have all those cliches. It's always darkest before the dawn, and all that. And, and there are great, there are great musicians and great artists and great thinkers out there, and, and they're not going to stop existing because of the way things are now. But it's um, we're having a little difficulty, I think, finding finding our way at this yeah. point. So you write the stroke, which I'm presuming is about the business, absolutely, especially at absolutely. that point in yep. in your career. Absolutely. But do you miss that? I mean, what do you miss most about it? Because, I mean, who doesn't want to be stroked? Who doesn't want to be told that they're the greatest thing since the Beatles? How about that? I don't but know. you know what I mean? I mean, it's, uh, is that something that. I don't miss it. Yeah. I don't miss it. Um, I get enough, you know, I get enough stuff which is real from, from fans, you know, it's stuff coming through the website or at shows and things like that. And those people are real. And yeah. I, I go with that. <laughs> I still have that. Let me put it this way. I still have that. So it's it's still there for me and, and in a more in a way that's more genuine. Uh, I want to stay with Capital One Zero Seven Eight. Um first line off the whole record is life isn't easy on the singular side. But you've remained single, yes? No. Is that no? Okay. I'm still I'm still rather singular, but I'm oh. not I'm not I'm not <laughs> single. I, I do well on my own, but okay. no, I've been married almost six years. Now. Really? Yeah. Well, Took a while, but I, I come from a real, you know, kind of traditional, conservative New England background, and one of the things I got in my head was I, that I was going to get married once. So it took, you know... Good job. I didn't want to screw up. I figured I'd better wait until I find the right person, you know, or else I was going to, you know, go against my mandate. But I don't, I don't think it's great, to, you know... I, to be practicing marriage in terms, you know, oh, I've been married four times. Right. It's like, yeah, you know, I'd, uh, rather, I'd rather get it, try to get it right the first time. But, you know, the thing about that is that, you know, you can't practice because marriage, it's a commitment. So how, yeah. if you walk out, you, you didn't do it right. You got to, and it's not always great, that's for sure. But I feel like, well, if I wasn't ready or willing to, to try to really live up to what that means, I shouldn't have done it. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty responsible person. You know, I get you know, in situations which, which have implied responsibility, mm -hmm. I take pride in being responsible. So I say, well, right. we're, we're gonna, you know, I believe that if we keep going along, and we're not we're not in a troubled relationship, but I mean, you know, that you the, the value in the relationship builds over time mm -hmm. and you talk to people you're married like, oh, 40 years and so, right. yeah that's and I, I make sense and you look back and you've got you have a legacy you've built something mm. it's not about how great it is today it's what you get through and all of, I think all of the challenges you meet and the storms you weather and all that stuff so you know and also also I think like you know if I felt I'm unhappy in my in my marriage and okay I go out and get divorced blah blah you know who's to say it 
you know, I go find someone else and it's great for two years and I don't end up having, right. you know, sure. another set of problems with that person. I think it's always going to exist. It isn't about finding the perfect person where everything is, you know, I, in an, you live in an ideal, idealized world. Well, were you, were you practical about that when you were Mr. Rockstar thinking, you know what, I, I want to get married once and now is not the time because now is my time. You know what I mean? I think if, I think if the person had been, you know, I had, I had, you know, several long-term relationships. Okay. And I think, if, I think if I had felt it was the right person, and no disrespect to these women because, yeah, you I, know, I had I relationships with some great women. But a lot of it was kind of a gut and, and feeling like, well, I want this to work, but it's not quite working. Mm. And so I'm trying to try, and I would try, and, but if it didn't feel like, if, there, if it felt like there was some sort of fundamental issue or something that didn't fit without, without labeling myself a perfectionist I, I, I just kind of it was an intuitive thing i would say it's not quite right you know it just isn't quite right what about kids lots of lots of godchildren I, I've, I've been really fortunate that i have a lot of friends who you know for better or worse have felt that i would be a good person to look after their kids if they weren't around and so i have a whole bunch you know and from now is the youngest one's 11 now and the oldest one is Twenty-four, and yeah, wow. you know, and, and some of them, I've been really fortunate that I've really grown up with them since they were babies and been around a lot. So, I've had some great exposure to kids. In some ways, ideal exposure, you know, because I can be with them and have and experience all the joy and right, right. still t- take them home to their parents after a day or two. No, I, hear, I hear a lot know, of grandparents and, saying yeah. that too. You know, the song off Happy Blue too. I I thought it was a beautiful song. Um, about seeing hope through the child, right? Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that for Harrison, who was yeah, who was one of my favorite kids. Really? Yeah, and I wrote it for his second birthday. It is amazing what you can see in and through children, isn't it? Oh yeah, they change your they change your world. Yeah, I mean, he was you know he was responsible for me writing Happy Blue because mm. that was about three years after I left Capitol. I mm-hmm. hadn't picked up a guitar. I, I didn't you know I was out doing other stuff. Seriously, and, never yeah. picked up a guitar. No, and he would. And he was born, and um, I don't know. His mother said to me one day, you know, around this time. Oh, I know what it was. I when he was two, when he was two, I wrote a poem for him. Right. I came back. I saw him on his birthday. Um, I came home that night and I wrote that. I just sat down. It just came to me. And I just wrote it. No music. I wasn't even thinking about a song. I just wrote it. And so then I gave it to his mother, you know, so that he would have it. And she said. She was an ex-girlfriend of mine. She was, was with me through a lot of the mm-hmm. music stuff. You know, she, so she you know, knew my process a little bit. And, and she said, why don't you write a song? Why don't you write a song about it? I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. Because you know, I wasn't into it at all. And sometime after that, maybe it might have been a week, might have been two weeks, I don't know. I was in my house by myself, and I was just sitting at the, the dining room table, and I just thought, I'm going to pick up a guitar and see and I had the lyrics and, the, and it's not written in a standard right. musical format and I just started playing and that came out and when I did it I can remember feeling what people say to me all the time is it's so amazing you can write a song how do you do it hmm. it comes out of nowhere you know and mm-hmm. I did it and I, and I was I was had chills I was like I haven't mm-hmm. written a song in three, four years and I felt you know it was like a new thing and I went wow this is, a, this is an incredible gift and then I thought Okay, what can I do with this? And I, and I did sort of set myself. I, I found a a platform, which was at the time, you know, a lot of people were 
sampling records and making records out of artificial bits and pieces. You know, and everybody, and yeah, it's all just junk. You know, it was out. You know, and there was no no soul, no passion, and 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 nobody playing. Yeah, you know, you didn't have to play. So I thought, hmm. Why don't I try to make an acoustic record? Mm-hmm. Just me and a guitar, no overdubs, and can I come up with stuff that could actually I could play for you in your living room that might entertain you without any of the other, you know, bells and whistles and stuff. And and make a statement that some of us still play. Mm-hmm. And so that's where Happy Blue came from and it really came from my my relationship with Harrison. In the pursuit of happiness off that record? Yep. Is that Almost learn how to live. You know what I mean? It, the, uh, the, just looking at the, you know, reading through them and going, okay, uh, here's, you could say here's that. the steps that yeah. take us to. Yeah, you could say that. I, I didn't think about it, but it, yeah. it certainly could be looked at as a sequel of sorts. Yeah. Uh, in Inferno, uh, is the other song on that record that I really connected with about, well, I guess life is just tough. Well, that, was, that, that song is actually um, very unique to me. Uh, that was not written in the way I usually write songs. Um, I was studying Dante's Inferno uh, in New York. I just wanted to do it. And I was taking a course in it, and it's an amazing poem. You know, it's it's just it's the whole the whole uh, trilogy is just just spectacular. Really? Well, I finished when I was doing that. I thought, I wonder if I could write. If I wonder if I could put Inferno into a song, and that's it. Wow. And that's where those lyrics come from, the references. All that stuff is, I mean, you, it, it works on its own without that as a backdrop, but that's referencing what I consider to be the key points of, of Dante's Inferno. And I gave it to my professor when I was done. And he was an, an old guy who's been teaching us for a long time, and he was definitely not a rock and roller. And I, <laughs> ga- and I gave it to him, and he was, and he was almost moved to tears. No, he thought, I mean, he, he genuinely, he said, this is a, you know, an incredible effort. And he said, you, you've really, you really got it. It wasn't for, it wasn't for the class. I just did it and I gave it to him. But that's, it's interesting. So I said, it works on both levels. You don't need to know that to have it be effective. But I think the lyrics are incredibly powerful because I'm taking from one of the most, you know, powerful poets of any era. Well, I assume when somebody is that, um, dedicated to what they love they can tell when somebody else loves it no matter what no matter how it comes through. yeah it comes through you know it comes through so reading through quote-unquote all the lyrics i think you use the word lonely frequently is that you probably know better than i they're okay <laughs> but i i i i the what i was thinking about was i wonder if you use it quote-unquote frequently because it's just a feeling you just don't want to be a part of i mean has has loneliness been a part of your life that you've thought this is no way to live well i've spent a lot of time alone um which is different than lonely i believe but 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 you know what i mean i don't think of myself if i were going to say that i'm if there's an aspect of loneliness in my life i'd have to say that somewhat is by is again by choice you know, because I do like my solitude, and I spend I spend a good amount of time. I like to have time to myself. Um, but I don't. I wouldn't. Const- I wouldn't describe myself as being a lonely person because I'm actually quite happy when I'm alone. Um, or let me let me say that another way. You know that I've you know I've had a 
um, developing relationship with nature over the years, you know, the past 10, 15 years. And I spend a lot of time working with trees and gardening and in, 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 the, in the company of trees and shrubs and little animals and away from the world that we've created, you know, the, the, the human creation, which we, we think is reality. Right. Ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm very happy in that. Uh, learning to live more at the, the at the pace of the real world, to me, is very is very calming. And um, I, I'm quite happy in those situations. You know, whenever I'm out in those situations, I'm I'm very much at peace with myself, and I'm and I really you know enjoy being on the planet, which I can't always say when I'm back in the you know quote unquote real world. But you're but you're doing a lot of that in Central Park, where there are noises all around you. Mm-hmm. Do you. Have you ever thought about moving out in the middle of you know the middle of the state of New York? No, because then I couldn't have Central Park. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, nobody has what I have there. I yeah. mean, they've given me this incredible opportunity. I mean, Central Park is the greatest park in the world, and it's run by the the greatest conservators. And the people the people who are in charge of that are just are so passionate and. Um, visionary about what they're doing that to be able to to be involved with them is is a is a privilege that i would not like to lose uh, and i've it's interesting you asked so i think about moving out one of the reasons i don't move out is because of that relationship really yeah i really think that i'm not prepared to walk away from the park quite yet what what is gardening i mean i guess when did you discover gardening and and, and what has it taught you about life or is, does, well, a lot of what's what it's ta- I just told yeah, you a lot okay. of what it's taught me is, is that there's there's a there's a world outside what mm-hmm. we consider okay. the the world of man is very different than the natural world, which is far far greater and vaster. Yeah, I was thinking more yeah. about the growth, how you have to tend to it, and well, you, well, you learn. Well, you okay, you learn. You have to take you you don't make a tree. You have to deal with the tree. The tree does what it wants to do, okay, and you. So all you can do. Just take it for what it is, mm. like you could say with a person in a relationship or something. You you can you can work with it. You might modify it a little. You might direct it a little bit. But but it's going to be who it is. The tree is going to be what what it is. Um, so that's one lesson. You have to learn patience. Mm. You um, you know that you can't have something grow necessarily right when you want or how you want. Um, but given time, you can. You can reach uh, positions where you can achieve go- you can set goals and you can achieve them. So patience, you learn mm-hmm. acceptance, you learn. Um, and how how did you discover it? I mean, it, oh, just, it, it isn't a typical rock and roll. Oh no, hobby. I wasn't into it at all. I, I mean, you know, the closest I got to gardening was when I was a kid. And my father would make me cut the grass before he let me go out with my friends. You know, so no, I had no interest in it at all. But um, about 20 years ago, when I bought my house in Long Island, it was an I would, it was an opportunity. The house was an opportunity. The property was a mess, but the house was you know was something which I thought this would be a good thing to pick up right now. It would be a good thing to have, and I'll deal with. I'll figure out the the property, you know, later. And I did. I started doing it, and it just grew. I mean, it just mm. again came from nothing. Mm. I had no idea that I would be having this conversation now or that I would be working in the park. But it was all, it was all, you know, an evolving process, which is another thing, too, you know, that things do evolve and you don't, you, you don't control the evolution. Things, things are going to go a certain way and 
it's good if you could sort of get on for the ride. Yes. So do you think do you think of yourself, do you think about the environment? Do you think about the chemicals and whatnot that you guys use to, um, or, or fertilizers and whatnot that you guys use in the park? I mean, to a, oh yeah, in the park, it's very conscious of it. I'm, I'm somewhat less conscious of it in my own property because if there's something that I want to do, I'll do it. But so, so there's a, it's not a, I'm not 100% environmentally friendly, but I try to do as much as I can. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it and I do. I just assume I certainly do my bit. Let's put it that way. Well, working with the earth, I mean, there is a there's there is something there's a oneness to it. You know, you understand that we're all in this together. I guess I hope. You know, is it a spiritual thing for you too? I mean, do you? Do oh, you, absolutely. When, yeah. Well, yeah, because because the, I mean, I th I think that this whole thing is you know the natural world is a very is is the presence of. A great spirit, you know, mm -hmm. wh wh whatever you want to call it, who, whoever, whatever, there is some something out there that's that's way bigger than us and something we will probably never understand, and and it's manifested in all of, you know, even in us, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a it's a it's a wide you know it's a wide range of um, of, of events and characters that we have in our in our existence. And they're not, you know, again, it's, you know, I don't think that, I don't believe necessarily in a, in, in the vision of heaven or so, or like the, there's this beautiful place where everything is fine. I mean, the, where they're we not are, a beautiful there's garden. good, there's bad, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there are a lot of sides to life and there are a lot of, you know, there's, there's, you know, you wouldn't have happiness without unhappiness and, mm -hmm. you know, all those sort of th yeah. these dichotomies which exist and reinforce each other. So, you know. That's all part of it, and again, I, I think I think it's important to try to embrace that. You know, I think, and I think that the Eastern philosophies are a lot better than, at that than the Western religions, because there's a there is this idea of trying to cohabit and and accept and be empathetic. Yeah, there's a part of me that I thought maybe I would uh, be more at peace or at least more um, understanding of whatever the world is out there just because when I was a kid growing up I was oh wow look at all these people they've got their life together and blah 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 I'm like there's plenty of times where I still feel like a kid when I'm searching for whatever the answers are you know the big ones out there when I'm when I'm searching through you know CDs galore for answers to life and you know everybody else is reading you know thick books and biblical stuff I'm like I don't know I I really sense some real truth here and here and here and I guess I think truth is truth you can't really fight that. I don't know. It's hard. It's it's hard to say. You you try to reach. You try to reach your own vision of your your own truth, and and hopefully, that hopefully base it on something which is bigger than you. You know that's the thing. Yeah. You know, that's unfortunately a lot of people don't do that. I think that, that you know that it's it starts and ends with them. Well, you know, I think you use yeah. I think you use love a lot uh, in your lyrics, of course. But but when you're using a a bigger sort of love, if you will, rather than a, a a rock me tonight love if, if you know what i mean various levels of love so but like love is the hero that's how we change isn't yeah, it yeah that's a big one yeah yeah that was a that was a big broad yeah. <laughs> dramatic statement well sure and it but there's some something that resolved in you when you wrote it or absolutely, in, absolutely. oh no absolutely yeah. no i yeah. i think that that's a that's a very um very powerful statement and i believe it i believe it and uh 
working with Freddie Mercury, what did he teach you? The greatest. He was the greatest. Um, taught me to have confidence in myself um, above anything else. Taught me to, you know, to be myself and to re- recognize what I had and not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Were you good enough? Um, did you have a relationship enough with him that you knew what he was going through before people like me knew? Yeah. 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 Not not as much. Not I wasn't in the, you know, the innermost circle. But right. yeah, I I I was aware of what was going on. Well, let me let me let me jump to a couple other other songs off. Uh, let me go to Creatures of Heaven. Um, well, why name why name it that? I guess I thought that was a really interesting. You know, I honestly don't even okay. know. It. I mean, right. I mean, I don't know now. I'm, I okay. I, I think I think at the time. I felt the same thing that you're feeling. It's inter- it's interesting, and we've been just been talking about that to a degree, yeah. or, or alluding to it. That that um, you know we are creatures of habit. We we grow up, we develop things very early in our lives from the families that we're in and the influences that we have, and um, oftentimes don't have the ability or the the will to understand where we come from, and we end up acting out a lot of. You know, are reenacting a lot of mm. uh, bits and pieces from our earlier life. So, I think "Creatures of Habit" is um, was an apt an apt title, um, but I, I, I didn't have anything more specific in mind that I could tell you now. I, I don't mean to involve the two songs because they're not necessarily about the same subject, but like "Nerves on Ice." I knew you were going to mention that song. Really? Yeah, it was like a Karnak moment. I was going to say Nerves on Ice. I have no idea why. It's in Young at Heart, but I, I just wondered when you, well, if you want to talk about that specifically about the song, but I just wonder, when you're, when you're writing those songs, is it, is it the same way a Rock Me Tonight comes to you, or is, it, or is it something like, wow, you know what, this is something I'm struggling with, or I see somebody struggling with it, and, and that's what inspired you to go to that place. Oh, gosh, write- you know, it's... It's it's not it's it's not one or the other, you know. It, it's it's usually a combination. It, it's always something that I feel, um, or or have you know direct experience with. But sometimes, you no, know, I've written songs that have been observe, observational. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you know, to me, I always going to try to write a song which, uh, which taps the collective unconsciousness. You know, the, yeah. the, you know that that where you're talking about truth, where where I want to write where my truth is your truth. Or, or, or you know, my my observation, what I'm talking about, everybody can feel. That's right. you know, so that's going to be a thread that hopefully runs through most of the songs that I write. Christmas is the time to say I love you. I guess I think it's interesting that uh, isn't it a Hallmark song? Or? Yeah, oh, for years. Yeah, the it's, it is. I I have crossed into the mainstream of Middle America, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. Um, yeah, but I, I wrote it as a standard. I wrote it one day as a standard. I just felt like writing a Christmas song, and I wanted to write a rock Christmas song. So, you know, that's why it sounds the way it does. But the lyric is very traditional, and uh, yeah, Hallmark's used it for years. So, do they come to you, or do you, or do you have people go to them and say, "Hey, you know what? I think no, they came to me." Yeah, and you just have people represent you that. Yeah, you work out the deal. Yeah, no, I've I've good good people doing. And is that. that the same way when they when they use samples when when rappers use samples? Yeah, same yeah, thing. yeah I've, I've, So you yeah. do see, I'll just say revenue because I don't absolutely. You, know, you do, oh, yeah. and that is part of your decision to let them use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah that's been that's great thing about owning your publishing. You know, you get people people come. It lasts for as long as people want to use it. And so you've owned it. So you still see every time the song gets played, you get whatever makes oh, yeah. minimal sense. But yeah. But that it's one of the greatest lessons I learned when I was getting into music that mm. uh, a lawyer named Nat Weiss, who actually used to take care of the Beatles here in America and is still a friend of mine, 
said to me when I was like 23 years old, he said, I didn't even have a deal. He said, you know, I'm going to tell you this. Don't forget it. He said, don't give up your publishing. Yeah. Well, yeah, a, lot of a big do. thanks always goes out to Nat for that. No, I could tell you horror stories of people who I've tried to get to, you know, warn them about it and people who have just lost, you know, not, not everything, but substantially everything because they didn't, they let someone take that away and it's, you know, it really should be yours. So you're born in Massachusetts, live in New York, Red Sox fan, Yankees fan? Red Sox. Well, you've had a good couple of years then, huh? I like the Yankees too. There's no reason I can't like both. I'm, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not, Territorial. But can you actually say that publicly? I aligned with the Red Sox the, uh, right before they won their first pennant and yeah. and had to sit through the first three games when they went promptly went down three. Oh, yeah. That was the first year I took a stand. And I said to my wife, you know, the Red Sox haven't won this in 96 years or whatever. We gotta, we're going to take a stand. Yeah. And she went out and bought a couple of shirts, and we put them on. They lost the first three games. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And I said, no, and I said, well, we got we got to stick it out. And we said, put them on for game four, and that you know, and that was the beginning of it. So, oh my gosh, I mean, unbelievable. You don't want to play. You don't want to play against the Red Sox in the World Series. And have you been to Yankee Stadium plenty of times? I mean, that's, oh yeah, that's and I, know I like the. I mean, I, the Yankees are a great dynasty, and they have great teams. And, I, and it's not. It's not like I said. It's not one of the. I don't hate the Yankees. I like. I like the Yankees, but I'm I'm really a soccer fan. My wife is, was a German professional, and. Mm. I've become a soccer fanatic, mm-hmm. you know, over the last. So you just watched the World Cup? Yeah, and I went. I went to England for the you know the finals of the, oh, pr- the Premier League and you know oh, Man cool. United and Chelsea and on. Yeah, no, I I really love that. I, that. That was a game which I really just discovered and yeah. very different from American sports. But that's another discussion. But it's it's really got you know that that's where my interest lies in the sports. I am where. completely amazed at how much those guys have to run for how long they have to run. I mean, it ten is- miles a day a game, ten miles a game. Is that what it is? That what they- yeah, they they do. Somebody's there clicking away, or so I don't know how they do it, but they'll put them up in the sometimes on the, you know, the TV screen. They'll go, so I just ran nine and a half miles just going oh, out of the game. I did not know that. And I have Billy to thank. Met my one and only Beetle that evening. Actually, I have Billy Squire to thank for many things over the years, including his songs that carried me through interesting times of my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reals. I know you're searching. Don't, don't stop. Keep on scouring lyrics and songs and movies and books and anywhere you can find inspiration. Because, and I know I'm still wrestling with this, you are worthy of love and a great life. Give and get. Listen in and share the goodness. I sign off sincerely, comma, Frank Jenks, questioner, interviewer, searcher, hoper. <laughs> <laughs>